Welcome to Key into Quality, a Mayo Clinic podcast focusing on healthcare quality, experience, and affordability. As I have the pleasure to interact with patient safety workers around the globe, I often ask them, do you know if care in your hospital is safe? Typically, as they answer me, they tell me how many patient falls occurred, how many infections have happened, how many needle sticks, how many retained objects following surgeries, things like that. They're happy when the number of these unfortunate events is declining, but concerned when they're increasing. Of course, their target, as all of ours is, is zero harm. But I've never seen the system yet that has reached that target. Instead, some have seen significant declines and errors through a lot of focus on building and sustaining their culture, systems, and behaviors that tend to reduce errors. Our approach has been to learn from unsafe outcomes, redesign the systems, improve the behaviors, and look forward to better results. But I haven't met anyone yet who's totally satisfied with the results. And this has led many to consider, could there be a better way to continue our efforts to improve safety? Today, we're going to explore some other ideas about how to pursue patient safety work. And we are in for a real treat because joining us today is Subhashni Devkaran, the Mayo Clinic Enterprise Chair for Quality. Thanks a lot for joining us. I'm Dr. Tim Morgenthaler, a professor of medicine here at Mayo Clinic and a vice chair of quality. And co-hosting with me today is Sherry Nemec. Sherry? Welcome, everyone. I'm Sherry Nemec, Consultation and Relationship Manager for Quality at Mayo Clinic. And I have to say I am both honored and excited to have Subhashni join us for this conversation today on patient safety and high reliability. I know it's it's a little intimidating to read her CV, and I won't go through all of it, but I do just want to pay due deference. Uh, Dr. Dev Karan is an international leader in quality, accreditation, patient experience. She's currently our Mayo Clinic Enterprise Chair for Quality. She has a PhD from Edinburgh Business School and a master's in healthcare management from the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. And I just recently learned that she actually was awarded the Positive Global Impact Award by that college. So, so much for my reading of her background. Subhashni, Welcome to our podcast. What would you like to share about yourself with our listeners? Well, good afternoon, Dr. Morgenthaler and Sherry. So delighted to be here to discuss this very important topic. What I can share about myself is I'm a humble servant leader who discovered a passion for quality and safety when I was a victim of a medical error about 20 years ago. And since then have made a commitment to be the positive change as we go on this journey of improving quality and safety for all. Oh my gosh. So, delighted to be here. Well, th thank you so much. Now, there's been a lot of discussion in the literature, at, at conferences across the globe about how to turn our safety focus from an exclusive focus on errors to a much broader view. I know that they've talked about the term safety one and safety two, because two always has to be the new version of, of whatever one was. So can you share with us more about these concepts and how you think they might be important? Absolutely. What a wonderful question to start today's podcast on. You described it exactly that we typically measure safety by the absence of safety. So in essence, safety is a dynamic non-event that is measured through cause and effect. And so what we're then challenged with is this mechanism of linear thinking. Now, as a physician, Dr. Morgenthaler, you know very well 
how complex our healthcare systems are. In fact, we do have a complex adaptive system. The adaptive component is so critical to our understanding of safety. And that's when safety too comes in. Because while we have about 10% of errors that occur in organizations, OIG recently published a report that said about 25% of, of patients are actually harmed within the Medicare functions. Mm. We also are missing out on the 75, 80% of things that go right. Mm. And they go right as a result of amazing clinicians, amazing nurses who are constantly problem solving, who are constantly adapting in this environment. And so if we are proactive in our thinking around when things go right and try to understand the mechanisms, the behaviors, the processes that enable that, we are thinking about safety too as a concept. So in essence, I'm not saying let's depart from safety one. What I'm saying is let's cast a wide net. Let's study when things go wrong, but also study when things go right. It will expand the amount of opportunities we have to truly try to find a solution to our patient safety pandemic, as I would call it. This concept is so exciting. And what it brings to my mind is so often as we have done the more linear, let's design error out of the process that we're thinking of is, is the way that we deliver healthcare. So often the group will get in a room, multidisciplinary, many eyes, and they'll do their brainstorming and they'll design, you know, the system the very best that they can. Yeah. But the next day when they have to actually do the system, Something is off about the, the environment, perhaps, that they're having to exercise. And I guess most recently what comes to mind is, oh, let's have a global pandemic in the midst of, of this. And then you can't exactly, maybe because of human frailty or stress or supply issues or whatever, you can't really quite exactly follow the procedure that you thought you were going to use to avoid error. And yet, as you say, the majority of the time, People find a way to make it work right. Tell us more about your thoughts about the adaptive nature of this exercise. The safety one concept is really based on that reactive cycle that you quite eloquently described, right? A safety event occurs. We drill down to the root cause analysis. Often it's attributed to human error. So humans are the errors in the system. And then we try when we find the root cause analysis, our immediate intervention is, well, let's educate the human that mm -hmm. made the error. And of course, we know that that's a very weak intervention. And then what happens is that, like you said, the adaptive nature of a healthcare system changes. Our patients are truly unique. We, we recognize we're moving towards personalized care. Our staff are in transition. We also recognize there's a workforce shortage. And our processes are so complex that one intervention isn't going to eradicate or eliminate all potential failures in the system. On top of that, we cannot fully standardize every single process because we need that critical thinking in healthcare. And so trying to get away from this linear thinking where everything is sequential, we find a cause, there's an effect, and if we eliminate the cause, we'll eliminate the effect. We have to really start thinking, 
how do we empower the humans as solutions in this adaptive system? What skills, what behaviors, what processes can we create that enable these critical problem-solving capabilities? Yeah, I like that. Subhashini, I, I want to go back just a little bit to thinking about looking at what's going right or finding the bright spots, right? Where, where are those places where we aren't seeing errors? And so I'm wondering about how Mayo Clinic is thinking about layering in these concepts into our quality management systems. If we look at our systems in healthcare, especially in the United States, we're extremely bureaucratic, right? We have policies, federal regulations, and then those are broken down into hospital-specific policies. And then we try to educate to comply with those policies. And so as administrators, as policymakers, that's work as we imagine occurring on the shop end. But actually the work that's done is very different. That's when we have concerns around workarounds, we have the problem solving that tend to deviate sometimes from policies. And at Mayo Clinic, what we need to do is really bridge that gap between work as imagined, what we set forth in policies, and work that is done. And connecting our leaders so that we truly have that situational awareness of what's happening in our organization. And so as we talk today, I'll share some of the tactics that we envisage will help augment those processes. But we also need to start with a paradigm shift that we need to move away from this linear thinking and you hear about Mayo Clinic and Mayo Clinic platform and really thinking about this as a system and systems thinking. And then we get into the whole ethos around a learning health system. And how do we, in a large organization like this, perpetuate the learnings from when things actually go right? And actually, today is quite an auspicious day because it's our inaugural quality forum that is a structure really set up to help share, disseminate best practices and perpetuate that cycle of a learning health system. Well, that's exciting. I, I can't wait for that. As you talk about bridging that gap between work as imagined or planned and work as performed, even as one says that, you kind of get this fear that, well, they're not doing the work that, as it was planned, so it must be wrong. But of course, you know what we've been talking about is sometimes that work as performed is exactly right. They need to make a deviation from the initial plan because the context has changed. People didn't show up for work or something like that. But how will we bring those two groups together, do you think? The leaders, the management, the policy and procedure designers, and the people who do the other part of the work at the work's edge? That is a million-dollar question, and I'm so delighted that you asked that question today. We're talking about safety, too, as a concept. And you know, in healthcare, when we look at safety, we typically go about, you know, what's the flavor of the month? And, and mm -hmm. I want to really propose safety too is not a flavor of the month. It's a paradigm shift. Another group of concepts that I want to talk about is around high reliability organizations. And one of the key pieces of high reliability organizations is this concept of sensitivity to operations. And what that concept requires is that the organization 
has this level of collective mindfulness that they're aware, situationally aware of what's happening in that organization. And that includes our leaders. And so for leaders to be sensitive to operations, we create structures that help create a daily operating model, which you would understand as daily tiered huddles. What this allows is that on a daily basis, the unit, the unit leaders, supervisors, departments, directors, and eventually executive teams understand the challenge that are faced on that specific day, what has occurred in the last 24 hours, and how do we reflect on that for today to be successful, and what do we anticipate in the next 24 hours that we need to address. And so the daily tiered structured huddles is one mechanism by which we can enable that connection between work as leaders imagine that are done and work that is actually occurring at the bedside. Again, just kind of reflecting over many years of seeing safety and quality work done, you know, there's the concept of, uh, you know, you sort of do a, a gap analysis periodically, annually at least, and you say, well, how are we performing on the one hand and how do we think we should be performing and what's the gap? And then we put together sort of a strategic plan to you know, try to bridge the gap. How will that process look as we bring in this more adaptive mindset, do you think? Is there a way that you envision that will alter the strategic planning process or is it just going to become part of daily work? It's a really hard question because it requires a strong understanding of implementation science. It requires a really strong understanding of human factors and how do we engage adult learners as well. And so when we think about this new strategic direction around creating structures that truly leverage the collective brilliance of our teams, but at the same time, empower them in an environment where they feel that they have the ability to problem solve locally, but also have the ability to escalate when they recognize they do not have those resources to solve problems that are actually larger than what they have the ability to resolve. And so with that, the first piece is really thinking about how do we create this culture where problem solving is an expectation. Problem solving is a mindset. And so we know we, we do have the Quality Academy that helps augment those skill sets around performance improvement and process engineering. And so we would really want our team members to think of themselves as problem solvers at the local level. And then probably the harder part is how do we teach culture to enable this culture of safety and psychological safety. And that requires us tapping into our leaders to say, well, what is a leader's standard work? What are the expectations of a leader at Mayo Clinic? Now, the great news about that is that Mayo Clinic, our values are so well aligned to these principles around safe behaviors and the principles that create a culture of safety. Yeah, it's, it feels like we're really positioned ourselves very well with that strong base and in values and that 
quality improvement is everyone's job. It's part of what each of us are charged to do every day. We have an opportunity that maybe many others don't to really embrace the idea of safety too and looking for those bright spots and empowering staff, like you said, to jump in when they see things that could be better. Yeah. You know, Subhashini, I don't know if you read my mind or whatever, because I was thinking here, I wonder what kind of education we need as a workforce to do this. But you, you've already shared your thoughts on that. And I think at least at Mayo, we're by no means you know, there. We have a lot to learn and a lot more to do. What would your thoughts be to another organization who's just starting to think about how to educate or re-educate their leaders, their workers to have this different mindset? How should they go about doing that? Where do they start? I love that question because as you said, Dr. Morgenthaler, even at Mayo Clinic, even though we have excellent quality, we're constantly chasing that nirvana of zero patient harm and constantly challenging ourselves just to do better. So I think of another organization that's really starting. And I would say, rather than look at education, let's look at structure. Because structure creates function. And that function then enables an environment where those behaviors are expected. So as human beings, we are more inclined to do as we see rather than to do as we are told, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we can create those structures like a daily tiered huddle, like executive leadership rounding, where we are truly living and breathing as leaders, the exemplars that create an environment of safe culture, an environment that recognizes bright spots and an environment where learning is expected, then I think that would be a great start. How do we educate leaders? I think what we've defaulted to in the past is let's use data. Let's use the evidence. Let's be a, a data-driven organization so that we can demonstrate, well, what's the value? Our resources are often spread so thin. So we have to make decisions around how do we prioritize the work that we do. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to invest in this, this has to be led by leaders. We should create a, an organization starting on this high reliability journey, should start with a governance structure, a level of executives who are actually very committed to moving this, this journey, forward in this journey. Once you have that governance structure, then determine what are the substructures that need to be set up and what are the expectations? And then finally, what are the leader-driven behaviors that you want to emulate in the organization? And then how do you manage to those behaviors? And then, of course, we're in quality, right? So what are the numbers? What are the outcomes that we're hoping to achieve? And how do we measure our progress towards becoming a highly reliable organization? And it should not be the proxy or the absence of safety. We need to challenge ourselves. What are the leading metrics that we can hold ourselves to and really think differently there? You've given great suggestions and ideas for not only new organizations on this journey, but, but for us. I'm going to pivot slightly because I'm just curious to pick your brain. Artificial or augmented intelligence, it's, it's going to change healthcare. We're seeing it change our daily lives. I understand even that uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Mayo Clinic leaders called for ideas from our workforce for ways to use one form of AI, generative AI, 
And in a very short time, they had 355 submissions that are all being considered and prioritized. So my question for you is, AI is here, it's growing. How is AI going to fit into high reliability thinking, safety too, et cetera? At Mayo Clinic, we're hoping to be the leaders when it comes to artificial intelligence and, and large language models. The brilliance behind artificial intelligence and augmented intelligence is really the fact that this is democratizing technology, right? Much like the internet. It is available. We can all download ChatGPT for free on our mobile phones and then utilize the knowledge that it has. So my take on AI is that this is not just an evolution. This is a revolution, right? This is technology that will be a revolution for us in safety, safety, quality, and experience. And so I want to use just three terms, you know, that we've, we tend to throw around, which is proactive, predictive, and prescriptive. So today we talked about safety too. And, you know, I put that position that as a proactive strategy so that we can proactively study where safety actually exists and how we're modeling that. The predictive, imagine a world where we can actually predict errors before they occur. And we have the abundance of data. We are data rich, information poor. You've heard this many times. Now think about artificial intelligence combing through the medical record and the potential to identify scenarios and then project those in time to determine where we could predict error and intervene with before those occurred. So I think that's one opportunity. In the past, we've used global trigger tools to actually identify errors that have occurred and then augment our reporting structures. I would like to see a world where reporting is no longer required and that mm. whole administrative burden is eradicated. And then the last piece is around prescribing. If we could prescribe a patient care journey that is completely error-free, that will be a wonderful goal to progress towards. And artificial intelligence allows us the potential for that opportunity. When we think about other opportunities in quality and safety, we recognize that it's we shouldn't think of safety, quality, and experience as separate silos because we know if we provide safe care, we provide personalized care, we will get better quality as well. And so thinking about artificial intelligence in these realms that where we could also predict patients who are at risk of an unintended experience or perhaps that have a trajectory towards a not meeting their quality outcome. If we can think about personalized care and even patient reported outcome measures, that then opens up a whole new world for us in quality and safety. Subhashni, thank you for your inspiring ideas and messages and challenging us to really think differently about safety. This has been so much fun. I hope you'll agree to come back with us another time, but we do have to end today's podcast. So again, we're so glad that you could join us. I'm sure the information you've provided is uh, inspiring to others. Thank you so much, Subhashni. Today, again, is Mayo Clinic's Key into Quality. It's a podcast that aims to highlight some of the first steps in addressing important quality challenges in your organization. Our goal is to improve quality for patients and the populations that we all serve.
If you enjoyed this podcast, we would really be grateful if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a rating on Spotify, or feedback wherever you listen. You can also follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.